Hello, this is Scott Gillespie, and welcome to the fourth season of Plants Dig Soil. In this podcast, you will learn how to think critically about regenerative agriculture claims so that you can apply proven and profitable practices that benefit your farm now and in the future. I recently came across a story of indigenous intercropping of cover crops in their intercropped cash crops. It's in the book, Weeds, Guardians of the Soil, by Joseph A. Kokonor. The book was published in 1950, and in it the author was relying on experiences of his childhood and presumably of his years of teaching, conservation, and biology. The time periods are not listed, and I cannot find much information on the man. The language is dated, but it was highly respectful of the indigenous way of farming. He had heard of messy-looking fields and went to investigate. He saw the three sisters, corn, beans, and squash, all growing together. This was something normally seen in indigenous agriculture, and I discussed it in more detail in the previous episode. However, he also saw a lot of other plants growing in amongst the crops. What he thought of as weeds, the indigenous saw as further food and medicine sources. Some were cultivated just like the rest of the crops. Some were left not for their food value, but for their value in helping the crop. They called them mother plants, those that helped the others to grow. This could be in helping to break compaction, bringing nutrients up, or protecting the soil from erosion. They may have even been a nurse crop as well, protecting the early seedlings from the elements. Perhaps they even gave some disease or insect protection. It was not understood exactly how they did it, it was just observed that the mother plants helped the crop plants. What looked messy was in fact very productive. However, it was not left alone to just do what nature wanted. It was highly managed. Weeds were thinned so that they did not get too competitive. They were also checked to make sure they did not produce too much seed. In this sense, they're not weeds. To me, they were self-seeding cover crops. In our highly mechanized system, we will not be able to hand select the plants that work well together each year in every square foot of our fields. What we can do is to select the companions that work well together. We may be able to get to intercropped cash crops with intercropped cover crops, but I think we should start with just looking at how cover crops integrated into a single species cash crop system can work, and then build from there. Many people see anything growing along with their crop as a weed that takes away from what they could be getting with a clean field. While it may look like they're competitors, it's important to understand that weeds are not always competing with your crop. Beyond a certain point, they're not competitors. Only during the critical weed-free period are they a threat to yield in your crop. For most plants, the first one up wins. It gets the full sunshine. Anything emerging after that first plant knows it has others ahead of it by the quality of the light. It adapts its growth because it knows it's always going to be behind. If our cash crops can be the first one out, they have the advantage. Controlling the weeds that emerge with or after the crop can be delayed to a certain point, at which time they can start taking too many reserves of nutrients and water. After this, there's a critical period to keep the field weed-free. This gives the crop time to root deeply and grow its canopy. Any new weeds that come up must be controlled just prior to the crop entering its rapid growth phase. If this is done, 
any subsequent weeds will not affect the crop, or the loss will be less than the cost of another weed control operation. As an example, if weeds with the cereal crop are controlled at the one to two leaf stage, they will not cause problems for it. If they are up before it emerged, they can affect it. As long as the weeds are kept out of the field until the three to four leaf stage, the cereal usually gets ahead of them. It is at this point that an interseeded cover crop can be planted. This is similar to the concept of thinning weeds and letting the beneficial ones live in the system. The difference is that instead of being out and hand selecting them, we purposely select them and seed them every year. While a self-perpetuating cover crop would be ideal, the problem is that our best cover crop may change each year with the cash crop that's being grown. If we were intercropping all of our crops every year, as in the Three Sisters system, we would have the same mix of cover crops growing every year. If this were the case, we could reasonably work towards a self-perpetuating cover crop. But as our system lacks the ability to manage every square foot separately, we must focus on planting a cover crop every year. As precision agriculture advances with autonomous vehicles that can sense and learn what we want them to do, we may yet see this in the future. Having some weeds or cover crops growing in your crop will not affect yield, but this does not mean that they should be just left there. Weeds that set seed quickly could be building your seed bank up for a flush of weeds the following year. Cover crops that set seed may be a volunteer problems for years to come. Just like the indigenous systems, it must be highly managed. If you want to dive deeper in how this could work, including the machinery and how it could fit into a representative prairie rotation, check out an episode from Season 3 of Plants Dig Soil called 020 Relay Seeding of Cover Crops. In last month's episode, I talked about intercropping cash crops. There can be advantages to pest control and fertility in these systems, especially if they overyield. Overyield means you get more total crop than if each were grown in separate pieces of land. However, there are some challenges with this system, and I think focusing on just one cash crop in intercropping cover crops will be a much easier system to implement for the majority of farmers. The first big advantage to focusing on cover crop intercrops instead of cash crop intercrops, I know that's a mouthful, is not having to match maturities. Having one intercrop cash crop reach maturity before the other means potential losses of one before the other can be harvested. In some cases, they can work well together to help with maturity. Flax can use up late season water and prevent the chickpea from continuing to flower. This allows a timelier harvest of both. However, in most mixes, this can be a challenge. The next advantage is that you don't have to match crops with different seed sizes. In the case of chickpea and flax, the large chickpea is easily separated from the small flax seed. Some people have found that the chickpea may actually help threshing of the flax bowl as they knock around in the combine. Again, in most cases, this is tough to do. While I do not doubt farmers are going to find a way to do it, I believe the majority of farmers are not going to want to go to the effort and the expense of doing this. 
Matching a cover crop to the cash crop allows a much wider range of selection than just being limited to one or two good partners. You can find a single species or a mix of cover crops that work for each cash crop. In recent years, I've seen the recommendation to increase seeding rate of the cash crop to help outcompete weeds. Instead of doing this, perhaps you can have a cover crop growing within the cash crop that achieves the same goal at a lower cost. Focus on the optimal cash crop density and allow the cover crop to smother the weeds. This could even be applied to planning in the year before. As an example, if annual ryegrass were established in a pea crop and grew in the fall and after harvest, it would help to prevent the winter annual weeds and provide more residue cover than just leaving pea stubble. As long as it winter kills, canola could be seeded directly into the brown cover in the following spring. If it does not, then a conventional farmer would be able to apply a herbicide to kill it. An organic farmer may need a tillage pass or find a species that always kills in the winter. Not only would the cover help prevent more weeds, it could give the canola protection from early season winds. It might even help hold more snow and provide more soil moisture, giving the canola more water than simply a pea stubble alone. Having a cover crop under the canopy could be a big advantage in the year that hail comes. You cannot rescue a crop that's been hailed out. The damage is done. It's worse the closer you are to pollination and grain fill. If you have another understory crop, you have something that protects the surface and is ready to grow as soon as the canopy is unexpectedly opened up. Now yes, it may be damaged by the hail as well, but being vegetative, it has many more resources to be able to bounce back. In my area, you can buy hail insurance. My advice is to intercede a cover crop every year and make sure you buy as much hail insurance as you can afford. That way, when the hail comes, you don't worry. Yes, it hurts to see your crop flattened, but you can take comfort in the fact there will now be a soil building crop that will benefit you for years to come, and you are paid to do it. All of this needs to be adaptable to the season and the current water cycle you're in. I address this more in the second episode of this season, called 026, Cover Crops in a Drought. The main point is to be aware of the overall trend and adapt. If you're in a drought and soil moisture reserves are low, this is the year to focus on your cash crop and skip the cover crop. If it's very dry and you can afford to fallow, it may be the year to fallow a portion of your land and look at growing cover crops for a short period to help improve the soil for the following year. As long as the cover crop uses the same amount of moisture you would normally lose to evaporation, you're ahead. You may even prevent some salinity from developing as you're running water through the plant, not the soil. We cannot give the care and attention to every square foot of land that hand-tended systems can, but we can apply the concept to our current highly mechanized ones. Overyielding of a cover crop does not give you more in the short term, as in an intercropped cash crop system. However, what it does do is to invest in your soil every year and allow you to have a more resilient and stable system in the years and decades to come. Now I'm just scratching the surface here on cover crops. Did you get the pun there? Scratching the surface? Kind of like how plants dig soil. Pardon the puns 
But instead of just scratching the surface, why not go deeper by enrolling in my online course, Profitable from the Start, Cover Crops for the Prairies. It is self-directed, which means you can work on it anytime, morning, afternoon, or even the middle of the night, if that's how you roll. There's no start and stop times or waiting for other students. You just work on it when you can. If you have a good data plan on your phone, you could even be listening to lessons while the tractor is auto-steering you down the field. Though I'd prefer you're not looking at the videos then. Pay attention to what you're doing and be safe. It will take you about half an hour to an hour a day for a week or doing it all at once in a morning or afternoon. There are office hours where you can talk directly with me and any other students that show up about problems you're encountering, or you can upgrade to a time slot with one-on-one -on -one help. The cost is 159 Canadian dollars, and you can save $20 by using the link in the description or putting the code PODCAST in the coupon box at checkout. You can also save an additional $50 by prepaying for a one-on-one -on -one session at enrollment. Paying in your local currency is no problem, as you can use credit cards securely with the Stripe payment systems or use PayPal. While this is most applicable to the prairies, eco-regions do not respect country boundaries, so anyone in the Great Plains of the United States will benefit as well. If you're listening from other parts of the world, and my podcast platform tells me you are, the specific examples may not apply, but the principles can be transferred to wherever you farm. You'll focus on a cover crop's first plan. The five letters are the main points. Fit, implementation, return on investment, species, and termination. The best time to learn and to put the plan together is now. Even if you don't think you'll be planting cover crops this year, it always pays to plan. You will learn when and when not to plant them. Most importantly, you'll be ready and not guessing. You'll know when the time is right and be confident to go ahead with them. Thanks for listening. Well, I've got your podcast app open. Can you do me a favor? Ratings and reviews really help podcasts to reach new audiences. I've decided to keep my podcast free, so if you want to help me, there's no better way. While you're there, make sure you're subscribed so you see new episodes when they come out. If you prefer email, consider going to my website, www.plantsdigsoil.com, and click on the newsletter option. New subscribers get a $20 off coupon for my online course. It comes out once a month with new episode listings, events that I'll be at, and carefully curated content with commentary so that you can keep up with the essential news in regenerative agriculture. Another great way to help me is to share on your social networks. This could be with something interesting that you've learned and using the hashtag realisticregenag or sending direct to a person that you know that could benefit. I always like to know how people that give out information for free actually make money. The podcast is free so that you can learn something new and get to know how I work through issues. If you need a little more help than the podcast can provide, I have a self-directed online course to help you dig a little deeper. Included in the course are office hours that should let you have time with me to fine-tune your plans. When you need more than that, I provide one-on-one -on -one consulting services. My expertise is centered around the Canadian prairies. I have a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture with an agronomy focus and a Master's in Science with a focus on plant science. Beyond my formal education, I have attained and maintained my Certified Crop Advisor designation and am a member in good standing with the Alberta Institute of Agrologists. Closer to my home in southern Alberta, Canada, which is just north of Montana, United States, 
I provide scouting services throughout the summer with weekly field checks for crop staging, pest presence, and under irrigated fields, soil moisture, and weekly irrigation plans. I go beyond the standard crops of wheat, barley, canola, and peas to include things like potatoes, quinoa, and hemp. And of course, I love taking on cover crops. Eco-regions do not respect country boundaries, so if you're in the northern Great Plains of the United States, I'm sure I can help you as well with remote consulting options. Are you further afield than that? Pun intended. Many of the principles and frameworks that I have created adopt to farming anywhere in the world. I use Anchor from Spotify to send out this podcast to the world across many platforms, and it tells me that I have listeners from every continent. Oddly, it even says that I have listeners from Antarctica. If that's you, I'd love to hear from you, or wherever you are in the world. Send me an email or connect on Twitter or LinkedIn. If you go to Anchor, you can leave me a voice message. See you next time.